my morning starts with getting up, check on him. What do you need? You know, I got about an hour with him before I can get ready for work. What do you need? You know, maybe fry egg, do me some toast. He take his medicine. He go in and do his oral hygiene, all that stuff. Get his water bottle, bottle freshened for the day. Straighten out his bed a little bit. Empty his garbage can. <laughs> Then I get ready for work. Nora Clark does the morning routine three times each day. First with her brother, then for herself, and then after about an hour bus ride for her other client, right. Scott. Good morning. Okay, I come in, greet him in the morning, you know, put all my things down, um, change into my scrubs, and take him in the shower. Brush his teeth, shave him, wash his hair. I just tell him don't ask me to cut your hair because we don't know how that may turn out. <laughs> get his clothes on and then after that get him upstairs, get him ready for breakfast. Let's go. One, two, three. Then we start working out on the machine, put him on the machine for maybe an hour for how long he could stay on there. At five o'clock she gets back on the bus home. Sometimes I come straight in, he go, no, 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 put your purse down, put your, take your coat off, say woosah. I'm like, okay. And then spends another couple hours taking care of her brother. And then about, it ends about nine o'clock for me at night. Now Nora can do Nora. I can go eat dinner, um, take a shower, watch a little news, a little TV, and get ready for bed. By 1030, I'm done, and when I sleep, I sleep. I'm done. I mean, I sleep like, I guess, a dead person. I don't hear nothing. The house can be on fire. I hear people always say they have a hard time sleeping. Not me. <laughs> I sleep very well at night. <laughs> From the Minnesota Reformer, this is Reformer Radio. I'm Max Nesterak. Personal care aides and home health aides are the second most in-demand jobs in the state of Minnesota, with a worsening shortage that's already forced thousands to go without care. This week, the stories of two personal care aides show what's driving the shortage and what effect that shortage has on the broader labor force. It's Friday, August 20th. Nora Clark is just five feet tall, with dazzling white teeth that you notice because she smiles and laughs a lot. She started working as a personal care aide in her 40s, about 15 years ago. She's 61 now. Well, it started with a friend of mine that uh, needed help, <laughs> and she had someone, but I came over to help her move because she was really, you know, moving out. And she saw how I was help, you know, helping her pack her stuff and do everything, and she said, See, I need somebody that worked like you. So she got certified and became her friend's personal care aide. She already had experience working as a housekeeper for a group of mentally disabled men. So taking care of people as a PCA, it made sense to her. Every time I look up, it seemed like I'm doing a job where I'm helping people. And I found out that I, I didn't really know my calling, but I realized I kind of like this, you know? I, I enjoy doing it. You know, I don't mind cleaning, cooking, helping somebody you know, do something that they're having a hard time achieving a task or something. It, it didn't bother me. And I was, you know, you'd be wondering in life, what's your calling? So I realized in my 40s, maybe this is it because this is what I like doing. The pay, though, has never been great. Nearly half of home care workers are on some form of public assistance. And like Nora, 80% are women and 37% are people of color. 
This job has pretty much kept Nora on the edge of being able to afford to pay her bills. Oh, God. Well, when I first started in 2005, I was making $9. And then they was like, oh, from what I'd done in back home, you know, like I say, working with the state and the cook housekeeper, and they's like, oh, we see you had some, some previous little d- d- experience. So they gave me 25 cents more after a few months of being there. So <laughs> it was like... But, you know, regardless of what I got, it seemed like, I guess, because of being living with family, you're still somehow able to survive and make it off of that. You know, I don't, of course, live no extravagant lifestyle. I just have a roof over my head, food to eat, and clothes on my back. That's the main thing in my personals, and I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know? And how has your uh, wage grown over the year? What are you making now? Um, now I'm at $15, so... <laughs> Is it enough? No, <laughs> but it's a little bit more than $9, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it's six bucks more than the $9, but, um, you know, it's, it's it, I can't help but sometimes look at what I do and go, should at least start off at 18 bucks an hour when you have someone that really can't do anything for themselves. You have to do pretty much everything for them. There wasn't a union when Nora became a PCA. The Services Employees International Union unionized about 27,000 of the state's 100,000 PCAs in 2014. It was the largest union election in state history. Since then, they've been able to secure paid time off, more training, and a minimum wage of $15.25 an hour by July 2022. That'll make wages barely competitive with starting wages at many big box stores and restaurants. And being a PCA isn't just hard. It takes skill. And I've been in situations where I've had to teach RNs how to do wound packing. And I'm the little PCA. Now, to me, this nurse get $35 an hour from what I'm told. And I get nine an hour, but I'm showing her how to do wound care. Something wrong with this picture. <laughs> Have you thought about becoming a nurse? It crossed my mind. Back in, oh God, the 70s, I did go to school for medical assistant. I guess that's where it all began. And I kind of had fun in the doctor's office, you know. But once I got here, and like I said, just came up on this, I guess I just stuck with it. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it no more, you yeah. know. Well, you're busy. I don't know when you'd go to school, but. Yeah, that I don't even know if I could study because <laughs> I'd be so tired. <laughs> On top of the low wages, workplace injuries are common, and it's often hard to string together 40 hours. About nine years ago, Nora became her brother's PCA. That gave her predictable hours with an easy commute because she lives with him and his wife, but he was only approved by Medicaid for part-time assistance, not enough for Nora to live off of. If my brother could get 40 hours a week, that would be sweet right there, but, you know, he only gets 28 hours a week, so... I still need hours to, you know, take care of my bills. I have a lease and (laughs) bills, food, and even have to pay for medical out of my pocket, you know. Yeah, how do you do health care? Well, I'm in the marketplace, so I I have to pay for my health care every month out of pocket, pay for my medicine. You know, they pay a portion of it, but you pay the most, of course. (laughs) They only pay, like, say, a portion. They don't even pay half. They pay up their part, and then the rest is on you. So Nora told me she's always worked another job in addition to taking care of her brother. 
She got set up with her current client, Scott, about five years ago. It was farther away than she wanted to work. She has to take more than one bus to get there. But it offered the best schedule. Come on, Saturday and Sunday off, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. I'm like, wow, that's a nice schedule right there. So that, that really was the attraction to it. By Nora's telling, Scott's mom wasn't sure she would take the job because he needs so much care. He was accidentally shot in the head when he was two years old. Miraculously, he made it through high school and some college, but in his 20s, he underwent dozens of brain surgeries that severely limited his abilities. He can't walk or talk now, but he can nod his head to questions, like when I asked if I could take pictures. Over the years, Nora has become good at understanding him without words. And this morning when I came in, like, he gave me a smile. That was nice. Cause I'm like, look at you. He was smiling. I said, you know what? That lets me know you had a good night. You slept good last night, didn't you? And then sometimes I go, am I getting on your nerves? He go. And no. it's just the eye gesture and the way he do it is not. Like, nah, you're not getting on my face. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Between her brother and Scott, Nora's been working 68 hours a week, just about every week for the past five years. She doesn't get paid time and a half for overtime, though, because she's employed by two different agencies. So technically, it's two different jobs, even though the state of Minnesota is paying her in both cases. While the state allows PCAs to work more than 40 hours a week, it doesn't reimburse care agencies for time and a half. So PCAs virtually never get more than 40 hours on one job. You know, people always ask me, you will think about doing anything else or for us to get paid more money, you know, and of course you want to get paid more money in this type of job. It it doesn't pay you to me what you deserve to be paid considering all the things you do. But at the same time, I enjoy doing this. So I'm I'm still doing it and <laughs> making ends meet. Do you do you know how long you're going to do this work? Do you have plans to retire? Well, I can't retire soon, and I figure I have to go to the 67 mark. So, and I'm thinking this is pretty cool right here for my old age, you know, this type of work. So I'm just hoping to live to retire. That's my main thing, just to, you know, our life expectancy in our family from both mom and dad's side, if we live to see 72, we're doing good. So I'm just hoping to see, praying that the good Lord find it in his graces to let me live to see retirement and just have maybe a few years after that, just to enjoy life a little bit, you know? It's extremely difficult to find a PCA like Nora, who does it because it's her calling. There are roughly 9,000 open PCA jobs in the state of Minnesota right now. And keeping a PCA like Nora is even harder. Turnover is extremely high, and PCAs rarely stay long enough to form the kind of bond like Nora has with Scott. So what happens when you can't find or keep someone like Nora? Increasingly, people are having to quit their jobs and become PCAs themselves to care for their loved ones. That's what Carrie Ottelman did. Hi, sorry, I was getting all set up here. Oh, that's okay. I figured you were. 
Look at these chickens. Hi, Max. Nice to <laughs> nice meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm your escort because uh, <laughs> we only have two roosters and they've never been aggressive, but the geese right now are kind of horny and they get mean. So. Oh my gosh. So you have, you have geese and... I met Carrie at her home on five acres tucked into rolling farmland about 40 minutes south of the Twin Cities. She moved out here nearly six years ago, shortly after her son Keegan's motorcycle accident left him paralyzed, brain damaged, and needing 24-hour care. And within a couple of months, I thought, oh boy, our little 950-square-foot retirement home is not really going to be big enough because he couldn't even get into most of it in his wheelchair. He's 6'3", mm -hmm. so we could twirl around in the living room and that was it. We were sleeping in the dining room. And so I said, this isn't going to work on a long-term basis. And we realized pretty quickly that we needed to do this as a family. As a family meant all eight of them. Carrie, her husband, her daughter and son, his wife, and their three children. Soon they were joined by Carrie's mother, who has Alzheimer's. And a lot of birds. We have 30 chickens, seven ducks, and two geese. I shouldn't turn my back on them because they are not trustworthy. <laughs> and then we have the dog. We also have a parrot who you'll meet when we go inside. And we made our way Riley inside, and, and after meeting Riley, the African Gray, I asked Carrie to tell me their story beginning before Keegan's accident. Keegan, I think you know Keegan is a veteran, so he did... Um, his tour with the Air Force, and then went back over to Iraq on diplomatic mission for another two or three years. Um, in that year prior to his accident, he had uh, come home, and he was hired by Burlington Northern Santa Fe, um, whose home office is in Fort Worth, Texas. So he had a, accepted a position there as a station master. So they were uh, going to be moving to Pueblo, Colorado. That's where his station was going to be. So Amy was at home with the kids in Rockford, Minnesota. They have three, Madison, Riker, and Sasha. She told me Keegan was down in Texas getting trained in on his new job when his wife Amy got the call. It was October of 2015. It was like 6 in the morning, and when someone calls you at 6 in the morning, then it's something, something big. And she said that Keegan had been in an accident. Um, and I just said, what happened? And she said, I don't know. Um, they said, he's, he's in ICU and that we need to get there. And they didn't tell us anything else. She knew the name of the hospital. And I said, that's not really enough information for me. Keegan grew up riding motorcycles and was actually um, a champion. He was a professional racer for Harley Davidson. So... I called the hospital and demanded answers. I just said, look, <laughs> we have a young mom, a, a baby, I mean a young baby, and you want us to come to Texas, you're going to have to tell me what's going on. She said, well, I can't really tell you, but I'm going to tell you that we did have to intubate him. Mm -hmm. And when she told me that, I said, okay, it's serious. His mm -hmm. bike didn't just fall over on him. So we booked a flight that day and um, flew down there not knowing what we would find. Keegan was in a coma. He had a traumatic brain injury, broken bones in his neck, a broken shoulder, broken ribs, a collapsed lung, and a lacerated liver and spleen. It's still unclear what exactly happened in Keegan's accident, except that somehow he went off the road around a curve. Carrie stayed with Keegan down in Texas for four months as he went from the ICU to long-term acute care to rehab. Eventually, it became clear he wasn't making any more progress, and it was time to take him home. His insurance would only pay to move him 40 miles. It's like, well, 40 miles <laughs> is not going to get us back to Minneapolis. 
So in the meanwhile, his doctor had recommended um, that Amy apply for um, veterans benefits. So, um, and she was opposed. She didn't want Keegan in a veterans hospital, but I said, you know, I trust his doctor. This is all she does. And I know she wouldn't recommend something for Keegan that she didn't think was going to be good for him. So she did apply for the veterans benefits, and I'm really happy that she did because it was actually the VA that came down and got Keegan. So we flew home on a private jet. So from there, we went to the Minneapolis VA. They have um, their unit 4J is emerging consciousness. So, and it really is for people with brain injuries because, as you can imagine, a lot of um, people in the military have brain injuries and also um, strokes. So he was there for six months until June. And that's when they discharged him from their program. And, you know, when they discharged him from the VA, they said, look for a nursing home. And that was when I st stood up and said, no, not my son. That's not going to happen. So, I mean, it, it really has been one step at a time. So the first step was modifying our home in St. Louis Park so that we could bring Keegan home there. And then, you know, aim and, you know, that, I mean, if you think bringing home a newborn is scary, try bringing home someone whose very life depends on you and who can't call for help. Keegan is nonverbal. So, I mean, I was freaked out, to say the least. I don't think I slept for a while there. I mean, it was, it was terrifying. Um, and who do you go to? I mean, there's really nobody to call. You know, they, you know, I, I knew how much he needed to eat. I knew how much he needed to drink. I knew what medications he needed to take and when. Um, but beyond that, I didn't know what I was doing. Hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me, um, when he was discharged from the VA, you, you thought you were going to continue working? I did, and that was so naive. <laughs> I mean, so many people, you know, said, oh, you know, this is going to be full-time, and then some, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't know me. I'm pretty determined. So at that time, I was working in financial services. That's kind of been my background, and um, I think at the time he had, I was right in between jobs at that time, but I'd been doing regular regulatory compliance in the financial services industry. Um, we did attempt the PCA uh, thing. In fact, when we were in St. Louis Park, you know, before we moved all in together, um, I said, well, yeah, let's, you know, it's available. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. And the first person who came to interview was a woman probably my age. And I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I know a lot of women my age. I'm extraordinarily strong. Um, I attribute that to my Norwegian background. <laughs> um, but, I mean, these women would come in and they'd look at Keegan and go, I can't handle him. He's too big, right? And, you know, he's my son. So, I mean, I was going to do it if I had to eat a box of Wheaties every day. I mean, I had the motivation, but mm -hmm. it's really hard when you have people who are not family and don't love you to, you know, to do very difficult things. I mean, so you can just visualize. I mean, we have to do everything for him. You know, that includes bodily functions, you know, bodily fluids. And, you know, so not everybody can do that. Um, the second guy that came, um, we actually hired. I thought, well, maybe having a man who's, you know, a little bigger, stronger. Um, first day went fine. He seemed okay. Second day, 
um, he started asking about Keegan's medications, which as a PCA, you're not involved in medications. You're not, you're not licensed or authorized. So why he was asking questions, and then I found out from Amy that he had been asking her about his medications the day before. So, and pain medications specifically. So that to me set off red flags that he was a drug seeker. And when he started falling asleep in the middle of conversations on the second day at work, I knew we had a problem, I fired him. Called the agency and said, don't send him back. And their explanation was, well, he's been working a lot of hours. I was like, uh-huh, well, you know what? Keegan can't call for help. So if he's working so many hours that he can't keep his eyes open, that's a no-go. You, you shouldn't have even sent him. After that, I just said, you know what, forget it. I don't, I don't want people around him that are not family. So Carrie became certified as a PCA herself. Her daughter and husband became PCAs too. They get paid about $15 an hour for 40 hours a week each. The pay is something, but it's just a fraction of what Carrie was making before. Yeah, I left a six-figure. I mean, I was, I was making over six figures when I was working in my last year. So yeah, it is kind of hard because obviously now when I'm going to the Social Security calculator, not what it would have been, you know, and I would do it all again for Keegan. I mean, again, I'm a family caregiver, but um, man, if I didn't have my heart in it, that would be tough. I mean, that would be, you know, that would be difficult. Yeah, I mean, it is still difficult financially. I mean... Carrie and her husband took out a big mortgage to get the big house on five acres that can fit nine people and accommodate Keegan's wheelchair and medical equipment. Keeping Keegan out of a nursing home and providing him with reliable, around-the-clock care cost Carrie not just her career, but also her retirement. I wasn't planning on leaving the workforce five and a half years ago. That was not a part of my plan. My plan was to keep working, pay off the house, buy an Airstream travel, do writing, and take in photography. Mm. Um, do you ever think about, you know, you're in good shape now, you can herd geese, you know, you can take... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can take care of Keegan. Do you worry about a time when you won't be able to do that and what will happen? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think about that a lot lately. Um, not because I feel like I'm falling apart, but yeah, I have arthritis in my hands. I've had surgery on, on one of them. I need surgery on the other. Um, I'm 65. I'm in pretty good shape, but you know, I am going to age whether I like it or not. Yeah. So I do think about, you know, what the future looks like, you know, Amy and I have talked, you know, a little bit about it. I mean, she's, you know, she's going to be 40, um, you know, and I'm sure she can keep going for a while. I mean, even factoring in the reality that Keegan may not live as, as long as other people would have, um, you know, at some point, someone needs to take the reins. And yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. That's one I think about a lot. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure if I even want to hope that the kids can do it, you know, but I believe in the family taking care of them. I'm hoping that one of them has that in their heart. Um, but at the same time, so I'm essentially asking one of them to give up their financial future because, you know, we were able to do it because we had good jobs up front. And this is kind of at the end of our, you know, careers. But what about them? I mean, if I'm looking at one of them and saying, for the rest of your life, you get to work for 15 bucks an hour. I mean, obviously, it'll go up with inflation. But 
how do you live on $15 an hour? Will they be able to have families of their own? What does their life look like? You know, I mean, I don't, I'd hate to think that they won't be able to have families of their own someday if that's what they want. So yeah, that's a, that's a really hard one and I don't have an answer for that. This show was produced by me, Max Nestrak, and edited by Patrick Kulikin. Special thanks to Johnny Vince Evans, who composed our theme. Please leave us a good review and tell others about us. You can also drop me a line at max at minnesotareformer, all spelled out, dot com. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.